Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the FT Money Show from Investors Chronicle and FT Money. And welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, countdown to the budget. We already know that basic rate tax is coming down, but is national insurance about to go up? Investing for income, what's the most tax-efficient way to do it after April? Inside an ISA or out? Free financial advice for all? Yes, it's another government review, but does it sound too good to be true? And we have some good news and bad news about inflation and savings rates. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. So let's start with the money news. Uh, Sweeping reforms to income tax and national insurance from April will lead to a slight increase in disposable income for wealthier householders, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies. But it'll do little for those in the middle income brackets. That's because although the basic rate of income tax is coming down from 22p to 20p in the pound, the upper earnings limit for national insurance contributions is rising. But if the Chancellor needs to raise tax in next week's budget, could there be further changes to national insurance to hit the better off? Uh, Steve, uh, you've had a look at this. Uh, How big a burden is national insurance at the moment? Well, Matthew, national insurance is this tax by another name that was originally this contributory fund for benefits, state pension and so on, but it's lost all sense of that. It's actually the second biggest tax in terms of take. It's of the order of 90, 95 billion pounds a year. So second only to income tax. And how does it work? Um, you, you pay a certain rate of national insurance, effectively tax, up to this upper earnings limit. Yeah, which is broadly moving in line with the high rate threshold, so about £40,000. And that's, and that's the big change from April. Um, previously, the upper earnings limit, where you would pay up to 11%, of your earnings, this is for employed people in particular, Um, uh, one key point is that national insurance isn't payable by investors or indeed pensioners, people whose whose income is in pension. But um, because they're raising that upper earnings limit from, for the sake of argument, £34,000, £35,000 to about £40,000, that gap means that more people will be paying 11% national insurance on a lump of that lump of income that late 30s so really um the higher rate of tax call it national insurance call it income tax call it whatever you want is going to go over 50 percent effectively 
Well, that's the risk. That's the risk if, if we don't actually have alignment. But in fact, you have, um, say for the sake of argument, you were paying 11% on income of 50, uh, an income of £50,000 on your 51st thousandth pound or whatever and 40 percent higher rate tax so so yes i mean it's all it's it's all smokes and mirrors um high rate tax of course remember really isn't 40 percent and hasn't been for years it's, it's been well or the last few years it's been 41 because if you recall gordon brown said um over the upper earnings limit which used to be what it sounds like an upper limit for national insurance you would pay one percent on all income over there um, so, so a number of accountants out there are saying he could find different stealth, or Alistair Darling could find different stealthier um, smokes and mirrors kinds of ways of of increasing the national insurance burden. Now, the financial planners out there, of course, say if he does that, then that emphasises the attractions of things like salary sacrifice, pensions, bonus waiver arrangements, the ability for employees typically, but also sometimes people who run their own businesses, to uh, pay themselves or get paid or, 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 take, or take salary in the for- directly into their pension, uh, directly into the pension, that's the way that's done, um, and waiving the bonus, for example, and that way saving on the national insurance and sometimes even saving on the national insurance paid by or getting some of the national insurance saved by the employer. Because what's basically happening then with salary sacrifice is that the money is going from your salary directly into your pension without Alistair Darling getting his hands on it. Exactly. I mean, as, as, as the name suggests, I mean, it is complex, um, as indeed is national insurance, as, as we're finding. Um, but y- you sacrifice some salary. You say, please, Mr. Employer, don't give me that salary. Instead, lob it into my pension. Um, and, and by dint of lobbing it into your pension, there are national insurance savings. So it sounds as if... Uh, there could be even more reason to, to investigate salary sacrifice if there's further tinkering to national insurance in next week's budget. Exactly, but it's all dependent on will the Chancellor do it. Many other people will say he won't touch it at all. We'll wait and see. It wouldn't be a budget without smoke and mirrors, would it? Uh, but uh, you can follow um, Steve's sort of calculations on national insurance and his uh, budget preview in this week's FT Money with the weekend FT out on the 8th and 9th of March and also online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, new plans for free financial advice. But if you get what you pay for, how good will it be? And we have some good news and bad news on protecting your savings against rising inflation. But first, tax-efficient income investments. With less than a month to use your individual savings account, or ISA, allowance for the 2007 to 2008 tax year, but with capital gains tax changes also on the way in April, you may now be wondering whether to invest for income or try to make capital gains. So what's the best option? Bond funds, equity income funds or property funds or even alternatives such as structured income products, exchange-traded funds or 
infrastructure funds. John, you've been looking at this huge range of income products. Um, how tax efficient are they? Although ISAs themselves are tax neutral, the, the cans must be tax taken on them and on the income side, which can make a, a difference in terms of which you go for. Also, obviously, from April, capital gains tax is coming down to 18%, so that might limit the repeal a bit for growth investors. So that's, I spoke to Ben Yearsley from Hargreaves Lansdowne and started by asking him if the, the growth investors will be put off a bit from ISAs. Uh, possibly. Uh, it, first thing I would say is it simplifies everything nicely. Uh, having one tax rate is great. Uh, whereas in the past you've had different tax rates, taper release, indexation, etc. One tax rate simplifies everything. I think if you are regularly using your ISA allowance, you will soon build up a big enough pot to trouble your capital gains limit quite easily with only a small bit of market growth. If you're only using your cap- ISA allowance once every five years or something like that, then the chance of actually troubling your capital gains tax limit and actually paying CGT are less. So there could be a reason to hold, say, equity funds outside an ISA where you take advantage of the 9,200 CGT allowance? Oh, definitely, yeah. If, if, if allowances are there to be used, tax allowances are there to be used, there's no point in wasting them. OK. But some, some people use ISAs for income. So if you hold, say, an equity fund in an ISA, could you explain the, the different, ta- different tax treatments there, please? OK. Um, first of all, any income you receive from an ISA doesn't need to be declared on your tax return. That's one of the main things. Whereas if you hold investments such as unit trusts, either bonds or equity unit trusts outside of an ISA, and you're a high-rate taxpayer, you have to declare the income on your tax return. So that's the first thing. Holding everything in an ISA means you don't have to declare anything, which is fine. Uh, Secondly, um, you do have a tax benefit. Um, Equity funds held in ISAs, if you're a uh, basic rate taxpayer, the position's the same on the income as if you were holding outside. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you'd have more to pay outside of NISA. So you are saving tax by holding the equity funds inside of NISA. Turning to corporate bond funds, um, inside NISA again, all the income's tax-free for both basic and, and higher rate taxpayers. Outside of NISA, you would have tax to pay both as a basic and a higher rate taxpayer as taxes deducted at source. Uh, sorry, not deducted at source on, on, on both of those. OK. And, and what about property funds? Because I think the tax position is going to change there. Yeah, the tax position is going to change. Um, REITs, so really Real Estate Investment Trust, were introduced, I think, at the beginning of last year, and they were very tax-efficient ways to hold property. Um, at that stage, unit trusts that invested in direct property were held, were at a disadvantage. They're now levelling the playing field so that uh, income effectively is paid out tax-free as long as you pay a certain proportion out from the fund. So levelling the playing fields with REITs. That was uh, Ben Yearsley of Hargreaves Lansdowne um, you were talking to a bit earlier, John. Um, so I suppose the question is, what is the most tax-efficient investment in an ISA? Well, at the moment it's bond funds because there's, there's no tax either on the gains or, or, the, or the income. With these changes coming to property funds, that sh- should put them in the same position. So ISAs could become a co- good place to hold these kind of income-producing investments. Meanwhile, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you might be well advised to hold your equity investments outside an ISA and use your capital gains tax allowance. If you're, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can still make income savings, So whether that's an equity income, property or bond, or bond income. So they could still be worth holding w- w- within an ISA. If bond funds uh, and indeed property funds become the most tax efficient, is there a danger though of the um, you know, the tax tail waving the dog, as the as the phrase goes, and people will invest in asset classes that aren't really that attractive at the moment? 
I think people obviously have to focus on the asset allocation that suits their investment needs. Um, I suppose eyes have tended to be seen as a growth investment, but in a, w- in a way, because you have the capital gains tax loans, if growth is what you're after, there's not so much of an advantage. In a way, where the eyes really comes into its own is is for producing tax tax free income, and so that could be a benefit to older investors who perhaps built up a, p- a portfolio over the years, had some growth, and might not might not want to switch into into some of these income-producing investments where pro- there's also a bit more capital preservation, potentially. So uh, investments that, that can provide perhaps a supplementary income to a, to a pension uh, for, you know, for, for people in later life who have capital sums outside of their pension fund um, to keep the income tax-free and will keep the income as high as it, as it can be. And without, without potentially affecting the, the age allowance as well, which is obviously income-related because I's income is untaxed. Yeah. It doesn't have to be declared... I mean, uh, Steve, um, property investments haven't been so terribly attractive of late. They they might be becoming more attractive as they as they look sort of more and more bombed out and they and, and they hit the bottom. Uh, but bond funds, you know, also uh, not the first choice for lots of investors who aren't pensioners. No, I think I think the real value out there at the moment, Matthew, is and I think this would be the consensus would be amongst broad-based equities that have been sold off solid equities, solid blue chips. We hear a lot about, um, not necessarily banks, but um, you know I think people are fairly divided on property. You know, will we see further falls or have we hit bottom already? Um, and as you say, I don't think bonds would necessarily be a lot of investors' first choice. So I think. Stick to, stick to equities, I would. And, John, for people who are sticking to equities, does it really make that much of a difference whether or not you hold your equity investments in an ISA or not, given that capital gains taxes fall into 18% after April 5th? Well, it does on the income side, and I suppose that is one of the... If you follow Steve's line of holding equities, the equity income... Uh, this comes on to a talk about inflation as well. Because equity income should grow over the years, that, that, that is an advantage compared to bond income, which will be fixed and will be, di- will be diminished by inflation. Thank you very much. Well, uh, if you are still pondering your ISA choice uh, for this year, um, you can find out much more about income funds for your ISA uh, by reading John's feature, which is in Investor's Chronicle, on sale from the 7th of March. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on inflation-proof savings. Before that, though, free financial advice. Earlier this week, the government handed the Financial Services Authority the task of leading a two-year project to create a money guidance service. The idea is to offer generic financial advice at no cost. But what use is generic when most people want specifics? Earlier, I spoke to Elaine Moore from FT Money, who's been reporting on these new proposals. I began by asking her what sort of advice will be offered. Well, earlier this week, the government announced that they were going to spend £12 million running a pilot scheme for free financial advice across the whole of the UK for everybody who needs it. And one thing that they wanted to make very clear is this is financial advice that will be available for everybody, not just those who are seriously in debt or have a lot of money problems. This is for you and for me, people getting a mortgage, people who are about to have a baby, people about to go into retirement. The sort of advice that they envisage hasn't been entirely clarified yet, but what they were talking about is maybe a website, maybe telephone um, services, and also face-to-face interviews where you could go into somewhere like the Citizens Advice Bureau, have a conversation with somebody, ask them questions. They would be able to give you generic advice and then direct you on to somewhere else to get more specific advice. 
And maybe the most important thing and the thing they wanted to stress completely was that this will be utterly unbiased. It won't be used as a route to selling products. It will just be an overall overarching guide to how you should conduct your financial affairs. So you mentioned it's going to be generic advice in the first instance. Um, what sort of thing does that mean? Does that, does that mean saying, well, you might need a pension, but we can't tell you which one? Exactly. What they want you to do is, at the very end of the conversation, to be down to a few simple choices. So perhaps if you're planning for a baby, the idea might be that you will be advised to make some savings. They'll tell you how much you might need to save whereabouts you could save, so maybe an ISA, maybe a, a long-term savings plan. So your choices will be narrowed down and then you, you can go and choose your product, with, I suppose, with the, with the confidence that it's going to be the right type of product, at least. Exactly. They are talking to, the government is talking to IFAs and to commercial firms at the moment to see whether this advice could be provided through them. But they're very aware that they don't want people to feel under pressure to buy any products. They want them to be given information that will take them onto a list of providers later on, sort of similar to the way that they do the child um, trust funds at the moment, where you are given a whole list of providers, but you don't feel forced into choosing any single one of them. You mentioned child trust funds, and part of the proposals, I think, uh, include starting financial education uh, you know, for people at a much younger age. Um, what, what sort of thing uh, are they envisaging? Well, this proposal from the government is actually it's all part of a wider scheme to improve general personal financial education. And there's a plan at the moment, the FSA have just increased the amount of funding they're giving to a charity called the Personal Financial Education Group, which provides information in schools for children about personal finance. This is what a credit card is, what you can do with one, what a mortgage is, what a bank account is. Really, really general advice that everybody needs to know. Uh, there's a pack of um, the pack has been produced by some trade associations led by the Building Society Association that will be sent out to all MPs and which is a similar sort of thing. It will provide really general information and also a list of the organisations that people can go to if they have more questions about their finances. And finally, um, when can we expect to to get this free financial advice on the high street? Well, the pilot scheme starts now, and they envisage that running for maybe 18 months, maybe two years. And hopefully from that, it will run into this national scheme. So within a couple of years, you could see this rolled out across the UK. That was Elaine Moore from FT Money. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on inflation. Um, Steve, with... Inflation rising and interest rates still likely to fall a bit further, even though the Bank of England decided to hold rates this week. Where can savers turn to protect their savings? Well, Matthew, there's a an ISA, a cash ISA, for people who are looking around to, to choose one before the end of the tax year. The Leeds Inflation Buster ISA which um, the latest issue of which launches on Monday, Monday the 10th of March, um, it pays RPI plus 2.5% tax-free. Now, based on latest RPI figures, that's 6.6%. 
that's very that's very competitive. And I suppose the key thing is that it's based on RPI, the higher of the measures, uh, inflation measures, as opposed to CPI. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 um, you're, you, as as you rightly say, the government um, or the Bank of England rather targets CPI, which has tended to be lower. The difference in RPI tends to include more of a measure of housing costs, I believe, technically, and uh, and also council tax as well. And we've got the February inflation report coming out, um, well, just in a sort of matter of days, really. If if that shows that inflation has risen further, um, this account is going to become one of the best buys, I would have thought. Yes, I mean, I frankly, I've been a bit on on deal of the week, Matthew. I've been a bit no deal recently, so I. I I think this, in many ways, looks something of a winner. Um, there are quirks. It's about it's, it's a measure of uh, RPI over two years, starting in January. Um, you're locked in, except realistically locked in, uh, for, uh, if, you, if you don't want to pay penalties, um, except for after one year next April. Um, it's a two-year product, but I don't think those those aren't real issues. I, th- I think the um, it, as as you rightly say in an in an era of um, rising inflation or inflation pressures and at the same time when base rates might be facing something of a downtrend or are facing something of a downtrend, um, then uh, this would seem to be a good choice. And I think at the moment it's, it's going to be paying more than uh, the National Savings Index-linked products. Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, the obvious um, comparison. Uh, National Savings Index-linked certificates, also tax-free, but not an ISA. Um, you, so you can invest in them as well as this if you were really into RPI-linked savings. They pay, the current issue there pays RPI plus 1.35%. So, well, it sounds like, a, sounds like a winner to me. It sounds like there's, there's only really good news and not, not, not a lot of bad news. Well, perhaps the bad news is if what you're really looking for is certainty here, what this, this product provides is a guaranteed real return, real return over inflation. In practice, most ISAs do that anyway because of the, the competitiveness and the fact that they're tax-free. Um, but if you were looking for certainty, there's also an argument for fixed rates out there, anything up to 6, 6.2%. The Halifax has got a fixed rate ISA, a four-year fixed rate ISA paying 6.2%. So if you think we're in an era of potentially lower base rates or base rates coming down and staying lower, um, then um, 6.2% might seem competitive. But if, on the other hand, Matthew, um, Bank of England it raises base rates... It's seeking to tame inflation after all, whether it's CPI or RPI. It's seeking to tame price rises. You could envisage a scenario where a base, uh, uh, an RPI-linked savings deal has, has been forced down, whereas a, a, a deal that's more um, attuned to, to base rates is offering more. And I don't think you can guarantee that base rates will come down. There are actually figures out showing that over the past month, the, the three-month interbank lending rate has gone up from 5.5% to 5.74%. So that could be a sign of things to come. Well, this is the, the other issue, that whole, um, the whole credit crunch or all the sort of financial market stuff, um, turmoil, has forced up savings rates in recent months, of course. And so even though actually we've had two base rate cuts now, I think, in the last few months... Actually, the Best Buy savings rates have barely moved. Mm. I think, John, your point is that it's it's not the Bank of England base rate that's really dictating what banks and building societies are able to offer at the moment. It's the in, it's this interbank rate. It's the the rate that banks lend to each other. 
I suppose it's a bit of both, and 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 in terms of expectations as well. So a fix now might not might not look so good in a couple of years. Well, you can take your choice based on your view of uh, economic conditions over the next uh, few months, or go for a fixed rate for certainty. But if you'd like to know more about um, this. RPI-linked savings products, look out for Steve's Deal of the Week, which is in FT Money with the Weekend FT on the 8th and 9th of March. And that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com, and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Steve and John. Bye. Goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.